The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, and in a moment we'll read some selected verses here. Before we read the scripture, let me give you a word of caution. Whatever there is about human nature, it is that we always ought to put off to the last minute what we can, and it's Christmas time, and I know you've got lots to do. Don't wait to the last minute to make your gift to the Light of Moon Christmas offering. I'm not asking you to do something I'm not going to do. Here's my check. I've got it made out. Linda, I'm going to give it to you before the service is over. But I want you to know that we want to be able to not wait till the end of the year, not wait till everybody else is given, not wait to see how much has come in, whatever comes in. If we gave $100,000, whoo, I'd be the first to shout glory. But it could happen. Whatever comes in, every dollar of it will go to our world missionaries. Not a penny is kept anywhere. So don't do what human nature tells you to do. Do what God tells you to do and take care of it now. And again, my check is the largest check my wife and I will give to anybody during the Christmas season. I hope you'll do likewise. If you'll do that, we'll go way over that goal. I believe that. Amen. I'm glad you do. Now, all we got to do is get our offerings in. And thank you for those of you who've already done that. We appreciate your doing it. And the rest of us are going to be doing it today. Remember, next Sunday is the last Sunday before we want to announce on Christmas Eve we've gone over the goal. Now, you can make me out a liar if you want to and not do that. But if you'd want me to be telling the truth and get it all done by Christmas Eve, let's do it together. Matthew chapter 1. I want us this Sunday and next Sunday to do something that I hope will be helpful to you as you move into the celebration of Christmas. And that is look at Christmas according to the ones closest to it. And sometimes we talk about the wise men, sometimes the shepherds, lots of times about the angels. But who was the closest to Christmas of anybody? Well, when you stop and think about it, obviously his mother and his daddy. Nobody is closer to the birth of a child than the mother and the father. Now, ladies, don't feel we're leaving you out. Next Sunday, we're going to look at the Virgin Mary. Today, I want us to look at what I call the forgotten father. I doubt you've ever heard a sermon on Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. Maybe you have. Give me some ideas. But for years, as I'd said in the Bible, I'd never preached a sermon. As I got ready for the sermon this morning, I learned things I'd never seen before looking at the scriptures. So join me as we look at just some selected verses that pinpoint the personality of the forgotten father, the earthly father of Jesus. Beginning in verse 16 in Matthew 1, you may want to write in the margin of your Bible. This is the first biblical reference to Joseph by name. <clears throat> and Jacob, the father of Joseph, 
the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Then skip down to verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. There he is a second time. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. <coughs> because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, I'll come back and tell you, I think it, we don't want to gloss over that word. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, there is another time. Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She should give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 24, when Joseph, there it is again, woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union, that is, no sexual relation with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now skip over, if you will, to verse 13 of chapter 2, and you find the name Joseph mentioned again. We're going through the scripture, what it says about the earthly father of Jesus. When they, the Magi, the wise men had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared unto who? Joseph, in a dream. Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. Verse 19, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to a dream to who? Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So verse 21, he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Now to pick up the story, you need to go over to Luke chapter two. <clears throat> and the Bible begin, continues to tell us what occurred. Other than a couple of passing references to Joseph in Luke one and two, the next reference we have to Joseph is in verse 22 of Luke chapter two. It says, when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, the law of Moses specified what a couple had to do after the birth of a child. After they had done that, Joseph, there he is again, and Mary took him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And as it written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two pigeons. And parentheses, let me say, if you go back to the law of Moses and look at it, it really said that two lambs were to be offered. But later in Leviticus 12 verse 8, it makes provision if a family happened to be of meager means. Poor, we would say. There was an alternative gift 
doves, two doves, or two pigeons. And this indicates to us Jesus was born into a family with meager means. And rather than being able to give two uh, lambs, they were able to give two pigeons or two doves. And they made that offering. Verse 29. <coughs> Again, you may want to write in the margin of your Bible. This is the last Bible reference to Joseph. Nowhere else except here. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And with that, the forgotten father passes off the scene, never to be heard of again biblically. The forgotten father. Three things I want you to look at in the life of Joseph here in light of the scriptures that we've tried to read this morning. First of all, his limited attention. Very little attention is given to him. But it's very significant what is given to him. Secondly, his doubtless questions. I'll talk to you those about in a moment. Questions that doubtlessly came to his mind. They would have to yours, they would have to mine. I think they did to him. And thirdly and most importantly, his enduring example. Things, lessons we can learn from this man who was chosen providentially by God, not only to be the husband of Mary, but also to be the earthly father of the Lord Jesus Christ. But to begin with, notice his limited attention. And here the way you see this is to see it against the backdrop of other well-known persons in the Bible. And I'm only listing three or four of these for you. But when you look at the scripture carefully, if you were to take a concordance and count them as I've done, here's what you would find. In the Old Testament, you find no less than 1118 references to David, the greatest king Israel ever had, 1118. When you look at Moses, 740 times he's mentioned. When you look at Abraham, 306 times he's mentioned. When you look at Solomon, not as well known as the others, but the son of David, known for his wisdom. Solomon, 295 times. Now you put that in your mind, and against that, every time the name Joseph, the father of Jesus, not the Old Testament Joseph, the father of Jesus is mentioned, 15 and only 15 times, and you've read everything the Bible says about the earthly father of Jesus. So he's given very limited attention. Have you ever felt, nobody knows what I do. Nobody cares if I make up these beds. Nobody takes out the garbage around here. Nobody worries about where the next meal's coming from. Nobody's doing anything around this house but me. Now, I'm just telling you what you ladies say. You don't ever say it sometime out loud. Sometimes you scream it out. But I understand. Now, what I'm saying is most of us have felt at times that really we're the only ones trying. Usually that is not the case, but it doesn't keep us from feeling that way. And here is Joseph. Fifteen times out of the 66 books of the Bible, 
if you take just the New Testament, 27 books, and only 15 times he's mentioned, and yet he's the earthly father of Jesus. He's the one who was shaping his life in the early years, 15 times. When you feel you're getting limited attention, minimal attention, rest assured, Joseph can identify with you and you can identify with him. Now quickly, look at a second thing that we don't oftentimes talk about. In fact, we don't talk about Joseph at all, hardly. His doubtless questions. Now here you have to use a little bit of your imagination, but sometimes we read the Bible and we read it with rose-colored glasses. Like, and the angel said, the Mary is going to be pregnant and the Father is the Holy Spirit. Oh, thank you for letting me know that. I understand. I don't think that's the way it was at all. I think he had doubtless questions about this bizarre pregnancy. There were two things Joseph knew for sure. One, Mary was pregnant. Two, he was not the daddy. Now, when you put that together, you're going to say, oh, thank you, Lord. I thank you for telling me the whole... I don't think he did that at all. If he was a normal human being, he had questions. Why, God? Such a bizarre pregnancy. I can imagine him saying, Lord, no child has ever been born into this world where the Holy Spirit was the daddy. And what are people going to say about us? What are they going to say about him? What are, they going, what are we going to tell our parents? I think Joseph, when it says he considered these things, all these kind of questions are reverberating in his mind. They would have mine. And he was a normal human being. Selected to be the earthly father. But here he says, Lord, why would you want to do it? You can do anything. Why would you want to do it in a way with which there's a, there's a pale of suspicion around us all of our lives? Nobody's ever been born this way. The Holy Spirit's never been the progenitor of a child. Why such a bizarre pregnancy? And then, if you just be honest with yourself... I think you have to accept the fact that Joseph asked another question. Why Bethlehem? Now we've sung about it, old little town of Bethlehem. Some of you have been there. I've been there several times. It is a little town, relatively speaking. And here, why is he there? As an obedient member of the society of that day and time, he'd gone there to pay his taxes. And lo and behold, the baby comes. While there, 80, 90 miles away from home. Lord, you control things like this. You, you have something to do with when our babies are born. And you knew I had to come pay my taxes. Why Bethlehem? A little village. Nobody's ever going to remember this place. Why, if not, why, 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 maybe not Jerusalem. It's just two or three miles up the road the capital city, the religious capital of the world where everybody would have been there to celebrate. Why not Jerusalem? And Lord, if not Jerusalem, before we ever left Nazareth, that's where her family is and my family is. They could have all been there with us and have helped us through this difficult time. Why not at least Nazareth? Why Bethlehem? I don't have any question. Had I been Joseph, I would have asked those kind of of questions. Now listen to me carefully. Sometime 
well-meaning friends, Christian friends, will say to you when you're asking questions like this, good Christians don't ask questions. Are you listening to me from the depths of my heart? That's a devil's lie. If you've got a brain in your head and you use it, you're going to ask questions. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Then don't ever tell anybody good Christians don't ask questions. Sometimes we tell our children, you just ask too many questions. I like for children to ask questions. Why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? I, I don't know all the answers, but I'm glad to see their inquiring, thinking minds. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. If you're at the prime of your life, suddenly the doctor says, you've got incurable cancer. That doesn't make sense. Why, God? Why me? One of my dearest friends right now, living a good life, one of the most generous persons I've ever known, he's grappling with pulmonary thrombosis. The prognosis is not good. Why? Why, this? Why not some jerk out here that never goes to church and never does anything good for anybody? Not this man who tries to do good for everybody. Why? You have doubtless questions when you see things that don't make sense. Keep in mind, dear friend, we'll talk about this in a few weeks. Life is not always fair. Life doesn't always make sense. And yet, that's where faith comes in. But there's nothing wrong with asking questions. We ask the right question. We ask it to the right source. We get the right answer. We make the right response. We have more intelligent Christian faith rather than sticking our head in the sand and pretending, oh, everybody that loves Jesus doesn't ask questions. No. Listen, Almighty God is not threatened and intimidated when you and I ask our questions. He welcomes them. And he will do the best he can and we can to receive it to give us answers. Go back to Joseph. Why such a bizarre pregnancy? Why Bethlehem? And then moving on in his thinking, Lord, I don't want to bombard you, but why a stable? God, this, if this is the son of God, what a bizarre way for him to come into the world. You're God, you're sovereign, you're in control of everything. Why could there not have been room in the end? Why could this not have happened at home before we ever left? Why could it not have happened after we got back home? Why a stable? No midwife to help? No attendant helpers? The only pillow for my wife is blanket from my donkey? Why, God, a stable for what you say is going to be the Son of God? Why such an awful way, place to be born? Why the bizarre pregnancy? Why, why would you let it be in Bethlehem? Why would you call this stable the place for the birth of the Savior of mankind? And then, in light of what I've said to you, he's mentioned 15 times against David, 1,118 times. Over 1,100 times more, David, a man who later committed adultery, mentioned 1,100 times more than Joseph. Why? I think the question was, why, Lord, 
do I have to pass off the scene? Inevitably, that's what happened to Joseph. We really don't know what happened to him according to the Bible. Tradition is said that somewhere along the way he died. Uh, that's as good a thought as I could have, but we don't know that. We don't know what happened to him. We know that he apparently was a carpenter, taught Jesus that trade, but now he just passes off the scene. Why do I have to pass off the scene? Why, why is it that <clears throat> nobody remembers me? I'm the earthly father of the Son of God. Why? Some of you have read the writings of Max Lucado. I read him in my devotional reading every morning. And several years ago in his book, He Still Moves Stones, he wrote this imaginary conversation Joseph had with God. I think more, he's far more poetic than I could be. So let me tell you what he said. Here's McLeodo's imaginary, imagining Joseph talking to God that night. This isn't the way I planned it, God, not at all. My child being born in a stable, this isn't the way I thought it would be. The coming of the angel, I've accepted the questions people ask about the pregnancy. I can tolerate the trip to Bethlehem, fine. But why birth in a stable, God? Any minute now, Mary will give birth, not to a child, but to the Messiah, not to an infant, but to God. That's what the angel said. That's what Mary believes. And God, my God, that's what I want to believe. But surely you can understand it's not easy. It's so, so bizarre. I'm unaccustomed to such strangeness, God. I'm a carpenter. I make things fit. I square off the edges. I follow the plumb line. I measure twice before I cut once. Surprises are not the friend of a builder. I like to know the plan. I like to see the plan before I begin. But this time, I'm not the builder, am I? This time, I'm a tool, a hammer in your grip, a nail in your fingers, a chisel in your hand. This project is yours, not mine. I guess it's foolish me to question you. Forgive my strugglings. Trust doesn't come easy for me, God. But you never said it would be easy, did you? One final thing, Father. The angel you sent, any chance you could send another? If not an angel, maybe a person. I don't know anyone around here. And some company would be nice. Maybe the innkeeper, even a shepherd would do. Did Joseph ever pray that kind of prayer? I'm not sure. It's very possible that he did. And he says, Lord, I don't understand my son being born in this way. Oh, my I did it again. He's not my son. He's yours. Now, I don't know whether Joseph said all that or not. All I do know is he had doubtless questions. Now, in these closing moments, let me help you zero in on some enduring lessons we can learn from Joseph that are very important to you and to me. An enduring example. Three things, quickly. Number one, he knew what was right and did it. Every single time the angel came to him and spoke to him, when he told him to take Mary, he did it. When he told him to flee to Egypt, he did it. When he told him to leave Egypt and come back to Nazareth, he did it. Every time God spoke, he knew what was right and did it.
Do you? Sometimes we pray, oh Lord, if I guess it's know your will. When really we know God's will at times. It's not a matter of knowing it. It's a matter of saying, dear God, help me to be willing to do it. Right now, we're talking about the Light of Moon Christmas offering. You don't have to worry about whether God wants the rest of the world to be saved. He said he does. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's God's will. I will not have any to perish, the Lord says, but that all come to repentance. We know we should give. Now, some of you have already given. Some of you are planning to give today. And some of you are thinking about it. And some of you, it's just so much water on a duck's back. What? We know what is right. The important thing is, do it. You remember the Bible says, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is what? S-I-N. What? Sin. To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Joseph didn't understand all the ins and outs, and as a carpenter he liked to know that, but he didn't understand how this young lady who'd gotten pregnant, and he's told by the Holy Spirit, he didn't understand all of it, <clears throat> but he knew what was right, and he did it. Secondly, he knew, listen to this, he knew God could do the miraculous and believed it. You can't read these verses without seeing the supernatural, miraculous intervention of God. The birth of that child. A miracle. That oftentimes I hear people talking about this and they gloss over that. Listen, nobody ever had given birth to a child by the Holy Spirit. And since that day, nobody ever has. And yet, here it is. A unique, one of, one only, of its only kind. The miracle of the birth of Jesus. He knew God could do the miraculous and believed it. And then when he's told to go to Egypt, he had no way of knowing how it's going to be down there. And by the way, Egypt is not just down the block, several hundred miles away. He didn't catch an airplane. He walked with his wife and a newborn child. And then he gets down there. Now remember, no text, no emails, no telephones, no long-distance calls. What? A messenger of God says, it's okay to go back. How did he know it was okay to go back? The only way he knew it was a miracle of God. The angel said, it's okay to go back to Nazareth. He believed God. And every time God spoke, he did it. That's my challenge to my own heart this Christmas season. It's my challenge to your heart. When you know what God would have us do, then do it. Whether it's giving to the Light of Moon offering, inviting someone to come to hear the Christmas presentation this afternoon. If we know it's right, do it. And the last thing, the last lesson that you see is he understood what his role was and fulfilled it. That's so important. God put every one of us in this world to do something. God is a God of order and purpose and design. He didn't put us all here to do the same thing. That's obvious. But Joseph came to understand what his role was, and he fulfilled it. 
he came to understand he was not the producer of the Son of God. He was the protector of the Son of God. He didn't impregnate the womb of the Virgin Mary. The Holy Spirit did. But he was, care he was responsible for being the fatherly protector of the Son of God. He was not to be center stage. He was to be in the background. And Joseph went to his grave knowing what his role was, but doing it, fulfilling it. All of us who know anything about history know the name of Martin Luther. October the 31st, 1517, he nailed his 95 theses on the church door at Wittenberg, lit the fires that started what we call now the Protestant Reformation. Most of you, unless you're a close student of history, never heard of Dr. Johann Staupitz, S-T-A-U-P-I-T-Z. And yet Luther said on one occasion, had it not been for Staupitz, I would probably be in hell today. Johann Staupitz, a teacher, impregnated the mind of the Martin Luther and guided him in the right direction. And in turn, God used him to change the whole history of the Christian church. We're talking here about missions the father of the modern missionary movement was William Carey. He went out to India as a missionary. We've all read about him. Timothy George has written a biography of him, Found Faithful, a wonderful book. But most of us don't even know the name Andrew Fuller. It was Andrew Fuller who was a friend of Carey's who first embraced the idea that possibly the gospel is not just for a select few, as Calvinists had said, but for the whole world. And Andrew Fuller embraced that idea, shared it with, Cal with Carey, and became a catalyst God used to change William Carey's theology. And even though Andrew Fuller didn't go to India, he raised funds to help support William Carey. He said to him on one occasion, William, you descend into the mine shaft of the world I'll stand on the outside and hold the financial ropes. And he did. We've forgotten Andrew Fuller, but we still remember William Carey. Andrew Fuller was a behind-the-scenes person. Everyone here has heard the name Billy Graham. You've seen the Crusades. You've heard him preach. Millions of people, more than anyone in the history of mankind, has heard the preaching of Billy Graham. Many of you do not even know the names of Grady Wilson and T.W. Wilson. They became dear friends to me. Both of them have preached in our church. But they are not well known. No, the world doesn't know Grady Wilson and T.W. Wilson, both of whom are in heaven now. And Billy Graham is still living. They were the right hand and the left hand of Billy Graham. After God launched him onto the worldwide scene of that crusade in Los Angeles in 1949. Everywhere he went, T.W. Wilson and Grady Wilson, who were saved in the same revival crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina in 1934, when Billy Graham was saved as a teenage boy, those two young men were also saved that same crusade. And they became his right arm and his left arm. And I've heard him say more than a few times, he could never have done what he did had it not been for Grady and T.W. And when we all get to heaven, 
God in heaven who keeps the real records, I think will know. Grady and T.W. didn't get their name over the every kind of conceivable means of communication, but they were right there doing the menial behind the scenes thing. What am I saying? Joseph knew what his role was, and he fulfilled it. Joseph learned that he did not have to be center stage to be at the center of God's will. As was said by John the Baptist about Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. Joseph could easily have said that about Jesus. <coughs> he must have more and more, be greater and greater, and I must be less and less. Would you bow together with us for just a moment? And with our heads bowed, and as you evaluate God's will for your life. Joseph knew what was right, and he did it. I'm asking you right now, <clears throat> if you know what's right, let's do it. If you're not a Christian, I have no question the right thing is that today, December the 14th, 2014, you say, I want Jesus Christ to be my Savior and Lord. Boys and girls, he wants that for you. Moms and dads, grandfathers, parents, he wants it for all of us. Joseph knew what was right and did it. If you know today that's the right thing to do, then the sensible thing when we begin to sing in a moment is to say, I want to come and receive Christ. So you may be here as a Christian and you've been living in this area for several months or maybe even years and you don't have a church home. We would love to be that for you right now. All you have to do is come. Heavenly Father, with all of our heart, we thank you for this unknown, unrecognized personality whose life is so pregnant with meaning. Help us to emulate these traits we see in him. And in this Christmas season, if we know what's right, and in many instances we do, help us to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together with us as Paula leads us in our invitation hymn? The staff will be right here at the front to welcome you as you come on the very first stanza. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.